Hi, I'm Dennis Metzler, and welcome to The Charge. Today, we're taking a look at Kingdom Ministry with Dr. Bob Ekblad, who, along with his wife, Gracie, are directors and pastors of Tierra Nueva and uh, run the People's Seminary. He is the author of many books, especially the one we're taking a look at today, which is A New Christian Manifesto, Pledging Allegiance to the Kingdom of God. Follow the link below to check it out. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. All right, so um, your story of ministry um, that led you to writing this book is it's a very personal story. It's not just something you research. So if you could give us um, your story, which is the background of this book and in your whole ministry. Yes, um, I mean, I grew up in the northwest part of the United States in Washington State in a wealthy suburb of Seattle. You know, my mom and dad were good evangelicals, you know, Republican Party members, in fact, precinct chairpersons of the party for a while in our um, in our suburb. And anyway, I grew up very much God and country and, uh, you know, the country being elevated. And um, my mom was the member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. So she traces her ancestry back to that. So I grew up very much with that, those kind of assumptions, um, and uh, grew up in a, you know, Christian church, Presbyterian, and then um, going to a private Christian grade school, and uh, and then when I was, uh, when my parents switched me into a public school in my teenage years, like age thirteen, I kind of hit. I went through a, a pretty heavy disillusionment, I think, with the church, and uh, I felt excluded in a lot of ways and and then found myself um embraced by a lot of the people that were the drug users and you know sort of the those that were on the margins of my school and um it felt a lot more of a welcome and uh and a solidarity with them than i did with any any of the christians in my in my home church and so i sort of switched communities so to speak and left um the church but not my faith and um became um, kind of a pretty hardcore alpine climber, backcountry skier, rock climber, and thought that was going to be my career path. <laughs> I mean, I was climbing from age 13 to 20. Just that was my life dedicated to that and uh, had a conversion of sorts um, up on El Capitan and the Salte Wall. When I was 18, we were halfway up and got in a lightning storm and and it turned into a huge blizzard and uh, we were thinking we were going to die at any moment for a while and then, or die trying to descend. And I, I came to this point of just really just saying, okay, Jesus, like I want to surrender my life to you hundred percent. If I die, I, I want to be, I just want you to receive me and have mercy upon me and forgive me and just take me into your, into your kingdom. And, and if I live, I'm yours, whatever you want. And, uh, and it was, it didn't feel like just a fearful thing. It was just a real like confrontation with something with the real. And, um, anyway, we managed to get down obviously, cause here I am. And, uh, and then my life just went into a rapid sort of a succession of, of just, uh, events like going to Europe, hitchhiking around Europe, um, for a year, uh, ending up in a kibbutz and 
meeting a Cuban Jewish uh, guy who would, whose father and him funded a lot of revolutionary movements and learning about sort of the dark side of U.S. foreign policy in Latin America. Then uh, spending some time in Switzerland and listening to, uh, uh, you know, a Marxist labor organizer who had become a Christian who was lecturing on liberation theology. And uh, it was just passionate, his uh, depiction of, of Latin American liberation theology. And I ended up really being touched by the call, which basically I heard as, you know, you Western Christians, you know, you, your, your theology is, is really, um, it comes out of the settings of the setting of the, of the, you know, of the global, I mean, of the wealthy Western, you know, sort of, um, I guess, money communities, you know, white, um, white communities and, and, you know, comes out of a place of power and you guys are the colonizers and, you know, your theology is alienating to the, to the poor and the oppressed of, of Latin America. So, you know, how about uh, setting it and uh, come and serving and learning? Oh, and I mean, this is kind of what I heard is the call, like uh, expose yourself to the reality from the perspective of the poor and the oppressed and read the scriptures and you'll find that the scriptures will be other than what you thought and let yourself mm. be transformed. And uh, that's the call that I felt like when I was, I was 20 and uh, came back, finished uh, my degree, uh, switched to Latin American studies. And then uh, the year before my final senior year, I took off for a year hitchhiking through Latin America and ended up in a war zone in Guatemala. It was like 1981. And if anyone knows kind of Central American history, Guatemalan history, that was a dark time. And um, there were, there were uh, you know, like massacres happening in the highlands of Guatemala of indigenous communities. You know, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people died uh, during the 80s. And, and so I, I became aware of that just right away um, and um, felt a call to work um, and to expose human rights abuses and to, and to marry my, my girlfriend. Uh, so she was 21. I was 20. I called her on my 23rd birthday and flew up, got married. We went straight back down and um, both of us felt a call to work with the poor. And we, we wanted to work with sort of the non, I guess, uh, highlighted poor, you know, the, the poor that no one was really focusing on. And, um, and so we were just uh, we were inspired by the writings of Jacques Ellul and uh, and the Gospels, of course. And anyway, ended up feeling called to work with Hon in Honduras. Uh, moved there, and for six years we taught sustainable farming and preventative health, and to serve people at the point of of their uh, their need as they defined their needs, and and then ended up getting recruited by the people to um, to read the Bible with them, you know, kind of three years into our six, six years living there. And that was like a huge experience of, uh, you know, just reading, it was all outdoors, you know, in cornfields and on steep slopes under mango trees and, you know, corn and in the middle of the fields and in, then in people's homes. And I discovered that was really something I loved was reading scripture with people who mostly saw themselves as, experiencing God's judgment and wrath and punishment. And that's the message they've gotten from the churches. And, mm. and then there was, um, so that was sort of our induction into sort of the whole uh, Latin American liberation theology was really influencing us 
but mainly the, the just the witness of priests and women religious who were working with the most uh, you know sort of ex- poor and, and oppressed peoples people groups down there and just uh, serving and loving and um, reading scripture and uh, administering the sacraments and organizing people um, you know um, liberation theology is mainly known for um, all these lofty tomes um, you know um, I guess you know in the in the western world there's a lot of of, of literature that's come out of that movement. But for me, what it was, was like the whole reading with the poor, popular education, you know, Paolo Freire, participatory reading of scripture, um, looking at the problems of the society in the light of scripture, and and also um, just responding to the God of grace and the God of love that brings, who brings liberation. So it was there that we felt called to, uh, to go deeper in that and, uh, ended up moving to France and studying theology and formally trying to really educate ourselves with the idea that we would try to bring the best to the least and um, bring the best theology we could find and bring it to, to, uh, to share it with the people. And not, not that it was the best and better than what they could come up with, but to kind of be a feeder of, of some of the good reflections that have come out of dedicated scholarship and uh anyway so we we were in that role for a number of years we go back and forth to from france to honduras and then from u.s to honduras every year and uh and then felt a calling back to the united states and began um 20 um today this week is our 40th anniversary of founding tierra nueva so it's like um it was uh 1994 that we moved to skagit county and um to work with migrant farm workers. And because uh, we learned that there was no one fully dedicated to that population full-time who were pastoral workers. And so we moved here and started um, the Tierra up here. And I got, I uh, became chaplain of the jail and uh, to the Mexicans and began uh, doing one-on-one counseling and then leading Bible studies with inmates and going into the migrant labor camps and out to the fields and advocating for people regarding um, immigrant rights issues. And we started a family support center. We started a Bible study outside the jail, you know, um, and learning about the reality of the, the poor in the United States, immigrants, uh, children of immigrants, you know, um, gang involved, young, young people, um, white, uh, poor white uh, meth cooks. Um, you know, I mean, the, uh, there's a lot of uh, native peoples. We have many native reservations in our county. And so I was working with all these kinds of folks and just getting um, my heart, you know, broken, uh, hearing the stories of just these traumatic upbringings and, and hardships and felt like it was just like a complete, almost like a whole nother level of conversion that was happening. And then also feeling like my gospel was sorely lacking. Um, you know, I had, um, I was really influenced by the contemplative traditions of Christianity, you know, like the early church fathers, the, the Greek fathers, the desert fathers and, and the scriptures, you know, meditating on, on the, on the scriptures and with the help of scholarship, but with the help of the spirit and whatever, you know, um, that some of the monastic traditions and however, um, we were just seeing, we were seeing people being won over to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus's love and, and uh and grace and forgiveness and 
what what we were also seeing was they would get out of jail and then just almost so quickly relapse and reoffend, and it felt like our gospel somehow wasn't bringing tr- transformation. And it was just like, what is up with this? Like, um, you know, we're we're trained, we're trying to humbly learn, we're sharing what we've le- what we're learning in the best way we know how, informed by everyone we know. Uh, who have, who we think have something to contribute. Um, the one piece that we didn't include was anything from the charismatic side of the church or, you know, sort of fundamentalist evangelicalism. Um, we were allergic to that. Um, during our times in Central America, the, the charismatic renewal movement in the United States was had been very much uh, behind the worst of the U.S. foreign policy under the Reagan and Bush administrations and prior to that as well. And so we were just like nothing, we, we want nothing to do with anything. Um, charismatic USA, North America, um, for us, it was just toxic um, and destructive. And so we stayed clear, steered clear of any of that. Um, however, I had a little brother who had been a crack addict who had a conversion in sort of that movement um, in Florida and these different places that seemed really dodgy to me. Um, but then we watched my brother's evolve and grow and um he would begin to challenge me he was my youngest uh, i'm the oldest and he was the youngest and um he would say you know hey bob i mean do you pray for healing i was like well i mean yeah no i mean you know we we didn't want to be associated with power we we felt uh, a need to cast off any power that uh because we were ashamed um and disgusted by our identification with USA and with whiteness and uh, everything associated with that. Cause it just felt like uh, so many of the people we work with felt um, a sense of uh, smallness and, you know, like they, they had been oppressed by people that look like us. Right. And we wanted, um, we were about empowering seeing the people be empowered and serving the people and not having power ourselves. And so, you know, the whole big stage Christian posturing and, you know, in the name of Jesus and casting out spirits and healing people. And then uh, we didn't want to be doing that just because uh, it it was, if it was mediated through us, that was a problem, (laughs) you know, um, and there was some self, you know, hatred, there as well just because we you know we of our political awareness of of our association with the colonizer you know and the republican party uh upbringing that we had that i had um so anyway um i didn't want to listen to my little brother but he said um bob you know um look why can't you just learn from me i'm your little brother are you just too above me to be able to learn from my spirituality. And I was like, Oh wow. Now it's really hitting home. This is, this is hard to resist Peter. I says, why don't you just even go to a meeting? Like, uh, like, are you just that much superior and better? And, um, you know, I'm telling you, it's really powerful. The Holy spirit is so strong. And I'm like, okay, the Holy spirit's strong. Now I was all about the theology of the cross and God revealing himself as weakness in weakness, hanging mm. between two criminals and, but that wasn't really working because the power of God wasn't manifesting. And I didn't want it to, but I did at the same time because I wanted to see people liberated, freed, healed. Um, Cause it was just painful to watch the suffering and to suffer alongside people. 
And the gospels were putting me in crisis because Jesus was healing everyone who came to him and casting out demons. And I, I believed that I wasn't like a dispensationalist. Um, I believed that, that it happened and it happens, but I, I just didn't want to be associated with the people that claimed to be doing it. Right. And, uh, but anyway, uh, finally, uh, Peter said, Oh, you know, I'm up in Canada. It's uh, different here. Said, oh, really? It's different. Well, everywhere, um, everywhere that I've uh, witnessed these folks, they're laying hands on people and sending them off to Iraq to fight. And you know, and so anyway, uh, Peter was acknowledging that kind of thing. He was telling me, "Yeah, actually, I was just in this meeting in Florida, and that's what they did. They brought all these people up and they laid hands on them and sent them to Iraq." And I was like, uh, "And he was like, that's that is wrong, Bob. I agree with you, but here in Toronto, I don't see that happening." Um, maybe you should come. Like, I mean, the Holy Spirit is so thick. And I'm like, the Holy Spirit's thick. Okay, I haven't heard that before. The anointing is so strong. And I'm like, the anointing? And uh, well, what are you doing, Peter? Well, I'm just laying on the floor, just under the power of the Spirit and just soaking in God's presence. And it's so strong. And there's so much beauty and healing and worship. And, you know, Bob, do, do you worship? And I was like, well, look, Peter, you know, Jesus doesn't, didn't say worship me. He said, follow me. And all these <laughs> Christians that are just about worship, I mean, I think they just need to get out of their little box churches and get out there into the streets. And I was, I was, you know, I was angry about all that. And so anyway, finally, I just thought maybe we do really need to open ourselves up to uh, this world. And, but I thought, well, Gracie, my wife, she's super burnout from homeschooling and just uh, our and I thought she would be a good person to go and test the waters because she's got a really uh, a lot of discernment. So she went off to the 10th anniversary of Catch the Fire um, and came back telling me, you know, wow, it, there's weirdness, but there's goodness and we could benefit from this. Um, mm. You know, uh, she heard Heidi Baker speaking about her experience in Mozambique and that really moved her. So, and then she prayed for my healing of my nose, uh, which was a, uh, blocked from a birth um, and I couldn't breathe very well through my nose and would have to just breathe through my mouth at night. And she prayed for me and my, my nostrils like opened up. So that was like, Whoa, that was pretty, pretty crazy. So then I ended up going uh, with a, another brother who was skeptical like me and uh, had um, this experience of, um, you know, just going into this airport, Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, this big, huge, like, box church um, with a big worship band and a couple thousand pastors. It was a pastor's conference in 19 or 2004. Um, And um, first thing I noticed is when the worship was going, um, I, as I focused on the worship and I found myself like thirsty for, for what I was experiencing of just worshiping God with a bunch of people, which I hadn't really done. I'd just been a kind of a lone ranger in the jail and in the migrant camps. And, you know, worship wasn't really part of what we did, you know, like corporate worship. And um, as I was worshiping God, I found myself feeling like there was a weight um, on my back or like a hand on my back. And, and like uh, I was being falling, like there was a pressure on me to fall forward, almost like to fall my face. And the more the worship progressed, the more I felt this weight 
and the more I engaged in the worship, the more I felt like, like if I let myself go, I'd be on my face. Hmm. And, um, and that was my first experience of feeling the presence of, God, of the Holy Spirit, I guess. And, but then right after that, the head of the movement gets up and says, Oh, like, we want to welcome all the Americans that are here and can all the Americans stand. And so I thought, Oh my goodness, what's going to happen now? So I stood up and they said, you know, the war in Iraq, you know, we're so glad that you Americans are the world's global police force. Let's give the Americans a round of applause. And I was just like, oh, this is toxic. This is not safe. I sat down and I just went, oh, I, but I kind of, I, I expected that that would probably be the case that that would happen. Right. But anyway, it was a, it was a downer for sure to have that happen right at the beginning of this conference. But then um, the next day, there was a speaker, Randy Clark. He was talking on healing and deliverance and, and you know, how Jesus empowered his disciples to do the things that he did. And, and then after Pentecost, they were all doing it, you know, and I knew that was true. And um, so he was giving lots of testimonies of praying for people. And, and then he was praying for people right on the spot. Um, and people were claiming to be healed. And it seemed legit. And... Uh, so he he was like hey we're here um to pray for you all and to uh pass on the anointing that god's given us and so uh let's just uh to have a time of ministry now we're going to invite everyone to line up at the back line up at the front you know um and we're, we'll send our teams out to pray for everybody so i thought oh no you know i don't want to spare me what happened um well term of christian nationalism you know will i become a fundamentalist will i become a charismatic uh, but then i thought well but i want to see god's love uh, manifesting in ways that would bring freedom to people right so uh, aren't i here for that reason and so i thought okay i'll just go and i'll pray protection over myself um so i i lined up at the back of this big conference big church and and I just prayed the Jesus prayer, Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, you know, uh, protect me from anything destructive that these people carry. Um, you know, um, just, I give, I surrender to you, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm open. So Randy Clark from the front said, uh, you know, anyone that would like prayer, line up at the back, line up at the front. So I went and lined up at the back. And um, was praying the Jesus prayer, you know, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, you know, um, and protect me from anything destructive, anything negative, you know, that would come from these people. And, you know, because I wanted nothing to do with that kind of, um, you know, like colonial Christianity that was about, uh, that was blind to, you know, sort of racial and, you know, uh, nationalist agendas and, all that, right? I, I just, uh, but I was hungry for something real that was the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And so anyway, people were being prayed for down the line from where I was way off to the left. I, I was watching maybe 75 people that were in my line uh, and people were, as they were being prayed for, I was noticing them falling backwards. And I was like, oh no, you know, I won't do that. Um, you know, just like lose control to those folks. Um, I mean, if it's to the Holy Spirit, that's another matter, but I wasn't so convinced yet, right? But I was, uh, so I was struggling. And then I thought, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. 
it's like um, I don't want my it's my pride to get in the way of something that God wants to do. And if God wants to touch me in that way, like, okay. But um, so I just went back to just praying the Jesus prayer and not focusing on any, anything around me and just uh, so anyway, they finally got to me and this young British uh, guy, probably in his early twenties, mid twenties, I don't know, started praying for me. He was the ministry team. Um, he's barefoot. He was just this humble guy. Um, there was someone behind me that, was the catcher, right? Touching my back to let me know that I was there or he was there to, if I was going to fall, that was part of the culture that I didn't know much about, didn't know anything about at that point. And so anyway, he starts praying and he says, I see you in a circle of men in red uniforms sitting on blue plastic chairs. Um, I think they're maybe prisoners. And I hear the father saying, I love how you love my prisoners. And I was like, whoa, that is crazy. Um, in my heart, I was just like kind of blown away because that was my setting. I've been doing that for 10 years, like weekly gatherings with prisoners in the jail. And and to have someone affirm that, you know, I mean, in the name of God, like as the first thing that this person says to me was like huge because I was used to charismatic saying, well, do you speak in tongues? Oh, then you're not, you haven't been baptized in the spirit. And you know, kind of telling me what I didn't have or what I wasn't mm. doing. And um, and so, so then the guy went on to say, um, and I hear the father saying, um, I'm going to give you fresh revelation from the scriptures that will make your heart and the people's hearts burn. And that was my favorite scripture from the Luke 24, you know, the Emmaus Road. So I was like, wow, that's what I want. Praise God. Like, yes, yes, yes. I was like kind of, you know, trusting. Um, and because this person was speaking through this guy. And then he says, okay, now I hear the father saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to release an anointing for healing upon you so that your words will be confirmed by the signs that follow. And when he said that, I was, I just remember saying no, but it was too late. I was, I, I couldn't stand up. I, 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 I fell, I fell backwards and I lay on the ground um, and I just, my hands were just burning and they were just like on fire. And, uh, and I was like, Oh no, Oh no. You know, what has happened to me? Right. And, and at the same time, I was just like, so receiving it and cause it was so beautiful and no one was paying any attention to me. The guy was just on to the next person or two or whatever. And I was just there in a the line of people that were all, laying that laying there with the spirit um doing the spirits whatever the spirit does and that was sort of the beginning then of uh, of just uh, a bunch of uh, other times where i just kept qualifying for the prayer you know come forward if you're if you're worried about your family being casualties of your ministry you know we're going to pray for all the people that you know your families and come forward if you're just feeling at the end of your rope in terms of what you're doing, you burn out and you need more of the, just God's comfort and strength and come forward if, you know, and so uh, this, this conference was for pastors and leaders. And, and so I, um, then at the very end, John or not was um, doing something on soaking prayer. And I went to that and uh, he was the guy that had said this stuff about uh, welcoming the Americans and being glad that they were the world's global police force. And anyway, so he, 
um, so he went around and prayed for people at the end of his talk. And so I thought, okay, well, I might as well have him pray for me, whatever. And he got to me and um, he just uh, actually like did kind of what Jesus does in John's gospel, where he breathes on his disciples, which was really weird. And he, he blew all over me and said, receive the Holy spirit um, for the ministry of Jesus. And all I saw was just like dust, like white stardust, you know, and I was, on the ground and just burning all over my head. Uh, but then I thought, you know, I better get up and go talk to that guy because um, I don't, I need to tell him how disturbing it was what he said about the Iraq war. And so I got stumbled to my feet and I walked over to him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, uh, you know, Pastor Arnott, I, I just want to tell you that, you know, I'm really glad I came here, but what you said at the beginning, the first day really disturbed me. And, and we had this beginning kind of conversation and, um, and he, uh, you know, he, he was a little bit defensive, but heard me. And, uh, and then, um, then I ran into this French guy who was the head of the charismatic renewal movement in France, uh, uh, kind of one of the heads of it. And he had been in my doctoral program in France. And so he knew, he saw into me and, inviting me he says oh i i look the arnots uh, are going to come to france next month and why don't you come with them because you have your phd you, know, you have your doctor of theology from our huguenot seminary and people would listen to you and look what's happening to you and uh, and i was like oh no i'm not ready to throw my lot in with this crowd yet i <laughs> but i'll pray about it you know so anyway i i went home and i just uh, i kept experiencing the holy spirit um just coming, um, I mean, like just staying on me, like this burning on my, on my, all over my forehead. And it was uh, really like, I just, my whole life was just sort of uh, in a different place after that gathering. And so I ended up deciding to go with those guys to France where I, uh, you know, I just, uh, even more stuff happened. And, and then I just uh, found myself, uh, you know, sort of being, uh, like almost need to learn everything um, about that world um, and you know the gifts of the Holy Spirit which I really didn't know much about prophecy like how did that guy see that I was in a circle of men with red uniforms like what was that about like he was prophesying and you know and hearing God's voice like there was teachings on that kind of thing and books and weird books with equals and you know um just books that I would never normally look at. I was finding just kind of needed to read fairly broadly. And I was finding there was some good stuff amidst the not very um, convincing, you know, theology, but um, so I was just kind of, I just went, went at it and, and, you know, just had to, I felt like I was kind of like a newborn in a way, um, embracing this, this other approach. Of kind of more charismatic spirituality that I was experiencing and trying to make sense of it in the light of scripture. And, and that led to um, us just beginning to pray for people. Um, and we began to see people getting healed on a regular basis in, uh, in the jail. Like every time we'd go in and pray for people, I pray for people, people would claim to be healed and, and then want uh, to receive Jesus, uh, you know, in uh, ways that I wasn't used to, used to you know like i wasn't the kind of person that was like trying to get people saved or 
born again. I was, I was, I was really about the conversion, but not using any of that language and, and, and maybe much more, I guess, reluctant to, uh, you know, to invite people to receive Jesus into their heart and that kind of thing, using the evangelical language of my upbringing. But people were, um, I was finding ways to respond to their desire to follow Jesus fully after they were being touched by the spirit and, and, uh, and that just led us into this whole new season of our, of our life where, um, you know, where we began to include more uh, different ways of worshiping God and in prayer ministry times. And, and we learned about how to pray for people um, informed by the spirit, and, you know, um, and about prophecy and, and we, and then we began to get invitations to go to France and to, uh, and so the, these doors opened up where we met other Christians that were uh, trained in the same uh, training that we received. It was a very academic training. And um, I had a guy prophesy over me and say, you know, God wants to bring together the doctors of the word and the prophets. And, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of what I was experiencing the, as a doctor of the word. Um, you know, God was moving uh, to bring something together in my life and in our ministry that we needed because we were working with people in extreme who were extremely traumatized and marginalized um, and oppressed in many ways. And we needed a, a more of a holism of the gospel. Um, and so, um, and so anyway, that's where um, that was informing uh, kind of where we've been, been. Um, I mean, we've been, we've been on that journey now since uh, two thousand for you know incorporating in a really deliberate way um well we, we talk about bringing together word spirit and street or word spirit justice we were about the justice in word streams and um and then and now the spirit stream and and the contemplative as well um at the service of the poor wow excellent stuff yeah it's such a compelling story so um, let's dive more into the book then. So the title, A New Christian Manifesto. So that's a very bold title. Why, um, why are such strong words used here? Um, I mean, I, I was around. Um, I, I went to Labrie Fellowship back in 1978 where Francis Schaeffer, um, he was this, uh, this guy that had this, uh, you know, this, uh, he welcomed seeking searchers, you know, searchers who were coming, uh, trying to deepen their faith. And he wrote a book called, um, the Christian manifesto. And, um, but that movement ended up sort of becoming, um, uh, wedded to, um, the moral majority. And, and it became, it was kind of ended up being foundational for a whole movement that ended up going in a different direction that, um, that has supported a lot of, uh, you know, sort of the culture war that, that we're dealing with in the United States that that is is so strong right now. And um, what I felt was that um, God was really leading us to bring together um, sort of the the what we learned from liberation theology, uh, like the commitment to the poor and the and the un uh, you know the excluded. Um, you know, loving them and um, in a way that uh, that is, was informed by Jesus and the Spirit, um, and being about holistic liberation. You know that together with um, 
with careful reading of scripture that was informed by the grace of God and, um, you know, Jesus's friendship with sinners. Um, and then um, with the Holy Spirit uh, and the anointing of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, empowering um, action. And so the, the book tries to bring together uh, a vision of of the faith that, um, you know, that is really about the kingdom of God. So the subtitle is Pledging Allegiance to the Kingdom of God, which, uh, you know, in contrast to pledging allegiance to any any other kingdom. All right. And you've already um, talked some about the theology. What would you say is the, the biblical basis for your theology as expressed in the book? I'd say just the, like the Gospels, you know, Jesus's uh, earthly ministry where, you know, he starts out his ministry to repent for the kingdom of God is, is, is at hand. And, uh, and he went out into Galilee into the, the marginalized places, um, recruiting people and, and then empowering them to, uh, you know, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom themselves and uh, to heal the sick and to cast out demons and, and to be uh, including the excluded and, uh, and to be about the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven, and not about a, a you know, an Israel, Israelite national, nationalist identity, you know, movement. And so what, what would be the equivalent of that today? Well, it certainly has, would have nothing to do with, with sort of Christian nationalism as we see it. It would be about um, a universal uh, vision of the, of the reign of God uh, that was uh, for everybody and that wasn't attached to any particular ethnicity or, or national identity. All right. And so how do you define uh, the kingdom of God and, and what does it mean then to pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the is the Jesus is the is the sovereign, and you know the, uh, the the reality of Jesus being the Messiah, being the anointed one of God, who's the the one who uh, the prophecies of the, of the Hebrew Bible talk about. Um, you know, um, a king that would have a, a kingdom that would have no end. You know, uh, Jesus is the is the one who came to show us what. Um, you know, what that kind of sovereignty looks like um, as uh, one who empties himself of his power in the way that we felt called to do as well. And, uh, you know, doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but takes on the form of a slave, a servant, and humbles himself and is obedient to the point of death on the cross. And, you know, the suffering um, that Jesus embraces uh, in order to, um, as part of his uh, trajectory of, uh, of, of, of communicating liberating news you know that's what I, I feel committed to and, and that's what I was trying to articulate I'm trying to articulate in what I write and then uh, pledging allegiance to and that pledging kingdom. allegiance to that and and which means like uh, breaking allegiance with any any and every other power you know uh, one of the primary uh, calls of the Old Testament prophetic tradition is a call to renounce the high places and to turn away from idolatry and um and what would be the high places and the idols of our of our time today well certainly mammon you know money is one of the top ones and um is the is one of the only ones that's actually named by name in by jesus but after after that you know you have um all of the the powers and the principalities like paul 
uh, articulates, you know, um, in First Corinthians 15, you know, um, or Ephesians chapter 6, you know, like, uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and powers and world forces of darkness in the heavenly places. And th- that language is uh, is the language, uh, the, the Greek language that is used there is is rooted in the Septuagint of the Old Testament. And there it's usually referring almost always to our organized organizations like like nation states, armies, um, sovereigns. Uh, or human sovereigns and um, systems. And so, um, you know, um, the prophetic tradition is about repentance, you know, turning away from these sorts of false gods. And, uh, you know, in America, we have the American flag, which children are uh, are told to, to salute on a daily basis and pledge a pledge, which in my view is, a, is an idolatrous, action that needs to be um you know that i i feel is is something we can't we can't do as followers of jesus and it's something that we've you know we're inducted into at the youngest age and that creates a bond between us and our nation that can um that subverts the higher bond of of of, you know, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your soul and all your mind and all your strength, you know, which Jesus affirms fully in his uh, teaching ministry. All right, and we'll get into nationalism more. Uh, so how do we go about unifying the ministries that you've already talked about of the gifts of, of the Spirit that tend to be associated more with right-leaning Christians and the ministry of justice uh, ministering to the marginalized that are more associated with the left. How do we unify those? And 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 maybe even more, why are those even tend to be at odds with each other? Why do they tend to be in separate camps? I think they're, um, they're, they're in separate camps because the body of Christ is divided and uh, are, are around political, ideological, and racial lines. And, um, and so... Um, I mean, the way that we bridge that divide is but starting with ourselves. You know, we, we begin to um, seek to, you know, to follow Jesus uh, informed by, um, I guess, the, I guess the, the study of history and, 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 a, and a humble um, learning from, you know, the larger body of Christ and especially the global South and, you know, and um, the black community and the native communities that, Latino communities here, you know, um, we need to be in, in communication, you know, with the poor and the marginalized and the excluded and, um, and those that have suffered uh, from racial injustice. And when we do that, that's going to change our way of, of seeing reality um, and, uh, and lead to a, a just natural, like, I think, a movement of repentance. And if we do that, um, and then we begin to just uh, practice um, the, the way of Jesus as Jesus uh, shows us, right? I mean, Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So as you go, uh, make disciples of all the non-Jews, you know, all of the, 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 the ethnic, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like baptism is about a new birth, where you're uh, 
father is the father, uh, the creator of the universe. Um, and you, uh, you break your uh, identity. You, 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 you step away from that identity according to the flesh that marks you uh, t- to step into a, 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 a more uh, true and robust identity as a, as you are created by the father of, of, you know, of, of who is God, you know, the creator. And so baptism is essential for our new grounding in our identity as daughters and sons. Right. And then, uh, and then Jesus says, teaching them to, so baptism in the name of the father and the son, Jesus and the Holy spirit. And then uh, Jesus says, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So, um, teaching us to practice everything Jesus has commanded. Well, what has he commanded? Well, first thing Jesus commands is, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Second is follow me and I will make you become fishers of people. And then there's many other imperatives throughout Matthew's gospel, and which include heal the sick, um, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, um, love your enemies. You know, so you have the Anabaptist, you know, imperatives, you know, of, of loving your enemies and peacemaking together with the, you know, the more what's called the more the charismatic uh, focus of say healing and deliverance, you know, it's all right there together uh, in the same gospel right there in in Jesus's uh, teachings. You have the holism of the body of Christ, uh, which should be manifested in each of us. All right, but there's powers. You have a whole list of powers. Um, so how would you define the powers? And also, um, you talk about the world. So what is that about? Well, I mean, I like William Stringfellow's writings. He's got a book called, um, you know, um, An Ethic for Christians and Other Aliens in a Strange Land. And Jacques Ellul also has written extensively on the powers. But And Walter Wink, his trilogy, um, and uh, I've written some on it as well in uh, um, the Beautiful Gate, my uh, my book on Acts three, and uh, and on the new in New Christian Manifesto. You know, um, any organism, any structure or name or entity or brand or you know ideology, theology, denomination, nation, um, all of those fit under the category of the powers in uh, in the bible that are created by god um colossians talk, paul talks about them being created by christ and for christ but often they are not aware of their own um of that reality that they're made by christ and for christ and they and they 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 become their own separate little gods and you know and they're described as being finite and eventually being uh you know, they'll be destroyed in First Corinthians 15. Uh, however, what most of us are, are attached to these powers and we build them up with our, you know, with our, we, we give our lives over to them. We, we build up a church, um, you know, Tierra Nueva is a power, our ministry, you know, the Presbyterian Church USA, um, USA, France, um, you know, um, IMF, uh, US dollar, um, Microsoft, um, Google, you know, um, capitalism, uh, democracy. Um, the kingdom of God is is not um, something that's associated with those things. It's its own 
thing that it's its own move of the spirit uh, where the spirit moves in people through the word and through the spirit and uh, through our agreement. And it's about um, God's uh, God being the, um, the one who's the shot caller, the one who, uh, who guides us and um, you know, through um, you know, through the word of God and through um, the teachings of Jesus and, and so uh, the kingdom of God is not associated with the church necessarily. The church can be promoting the kingdom of God, but it's not uh, equa- equated with the kingdom of God. And uh, nor is it equated with any nation. And so right. that uh, we need training about the powers so that we're not con- bringing about uh, just perpetuating the, the complete confusion that exists right now between political parties and that claim to have a, you know, a biblical agenda or, you know, politicians that claim to be about sort of a Christian agenda Um, because the kingdom of God is not of this world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's in the world, but not of the world. So how do you define the world then? Is that just a collection of all the powers or what? I mean, the world is this beautiful planet that God has created with all of the creatures and including us and, and we've been given, uh, we have a role of being stewards of this world. And uh, God loves the world, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we're called to, you know, to be um, about the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. However, it's not going to come um, through, um, you know, through organizations um, that are going to, exert power and it's going to come through um through the proclamation um that that we engage in as spokespersons who um who are just humbly out there proclaiming the good news and calling people to um to surrender their lives to jesus as the king of kings and as the ultimate sovereign and to follow him and um and and to turn away from anything that would pull them in another direction. All pull right. But, but in your book, you talk about, you refer to one inmate who had, uh, I guess it was a tattoo, F the world. And your statement was something like, well, Jesus tells us not to love the world. So in that case, you're talking about more about a system um, that's at odds with God. What do you, can you give more detail on that? Yeah. I mean, like in first John, Jesus talks about hating the world. You know, we need to be willing to, we need to, we need to hate the world and the things of the world. And, um, and I don't think that's saying we should hate butterflies and, you know, um, trees and, you know, and, uh, rivers and, um, you know, it's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about, um, the proclivity towards, uh, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And, um, and also, um, just being about, uh, creating security and, um, and a, and a platform uh, that is here on the planet as, as if what we're doing is somehow eternal in our uh, building of organizations or building of uh, amassing of properties and, and of possessions. You know, it's uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus, Paul writes. You know, okay. the imperishable can't inherit the, uh, the imperishable, you know. Um, 
you know, so there's a transformation that we um, that that we need in order for us to truly enter the kingdom of God fully, which only will happen um, after you know the resurrection and you know the end of time, the end of history. Okay, and it seems like um, of all the powers that you discuss, perhaps the most noteworthy is the spirit of nationalism. Can you, so can you talk about, on the one hand, we have Romans 13. So what kind of relationship are believers to have with political entities, say, for example, the United States of America, in light of Romans 13, but also you talk about um, national spirit USA? Yeah, I mean, I think we're called to um, obey, obey the governing authorities um, in the sense that they, you know, they are part of the the powers are created by Christ and for Christ. And, and so there's a need to, uh, to be humbly submitted to the systems um, that uh, bring uh, order um, and, and yet not uh, in any way that would, that would jeopardize our witness or, uh, you know, we're called to obey God um, above and, you know, the teachings of Jesus above and beyond anything that uh, the nation would tell us to do. So, you know, there's uh, Romans 13 was written by Paul, who spent a lot of his time in, in prison, you know, incarcerated by the Roman Empire. And so his submission to that process of being taken up captive and being brought to uh, Rome you know, is what he's talking about in Romans 13. So it's not America's uh, legacy of rebellion. You know, really, America is founded on um, on a complete disobedience of Romans 13. You know, our whole nation is really a, is really a, a nation that is founded on on, on arrogant rejection of uh, you know of, of of in a way you could say legitimate authority, even though it wasn't legitimate for you know for England to colonize anywhere. Okay, but, um, you know, but they did. And, you know, so anyway, there's, that's kind of a whole other topic. But I think, um, you know, there is a right use of, of govern, governmental authority, you know, or we're not about like anarchism in the sense of, you know, like lawlessness and chaos and, and every, every person for themselves, you know. And so we want to be... Um, we want to be able to carry out the work that we have of proclaiming the gospel to all of creation uh, as long as we can possibly do that. And with this, with this few uh, obstacles, you know, we don't want to um, be incarcerated because of our stupidity or our, our arrogance or our, our lack or our unnecessary resistance. We want to be resisting in wise ways that are in keeping with, that are guided by the spirit. So could you say more about how Jesus resists the powers and how we're called to resist the powers through uh, deliverance and advocacy? All right. So I want to set this in a biblical context. So if we go back to Genesis 1, the first humans are made male and female in God's image and likeness. And and God tells them, um, you know, to so let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle um, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing creeps on the earth, right? And that has been misread to, to, to be just uh, 
I guess, uh, an endorsement for wholesale exploitation of nature in the past. But if we read um, these as powers, as uh, potentially spiritual powers, especially in an animistic setting that, that the Old Testament was written in, then then we can see it differently. And so anyway, the humans are put in the garden. The man is uh, given that role of guarding and serving. And um, then the serpent comes to the woman who wasn't present when God gave the command um, and says, did God say you shall not eat of any tree? And the woman is allowing the serpent to speak about God and to reveal God and, um, and doesn't put the serpent under her feet, so to speak. And, and let you know God, the Lord, be the one who who speaks, and the male who's beside her does nothing and is negligent and passive, and so the woman listens to the serpent. And this is the uh, this is what happens when we when we're dealing with the powers and principalities, because the powers and principalities, which are defined um, using language like uh, uh, you know, like in Ephesians chapter six, where it says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers and world forces um, of darkness in the heavenly realm. And there's a lot of language uh, in the, uh, elsewhere in the Gospels as well that would fit into the category of powers. Uh, all of these powers are creatures. They're, I mean, they're non-human creations. Humans are given authority over everything except other humans in Genesis 1. And uh, But uh, when we come under the non-human creation rather than exercising our dominion over it, then uh, that's the nature of idolatry. Okay, and so uh, in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about how uh, they, we worshipped the creature rather than the creator, and our foolish hearts were darkened. And so professing to be wise, we become fools. And we, you know, and that, and we're given over to all of these passions, you know, to anger and to dissensions and all of that. And if you look at um, human beings, if, if, if we're coming under a, uh, the, the non-human creation like governments like Romans 13 is misused to uh, justify, you know, wholesale like subservience to uh, governing authorities. Um, but usually only if they're, if they're Christian in, in our current political climate. Right. Um, and so, uh, but, but anyway, it's used to justify a complete submission, which is uh, out of alignment with the larger biblical witness. But um, the main thing to realize, though, is say uh, that the, the powers are made by God and for God. Like Colossians chapter one, um, it's described as um, God is Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So that's the reality of the powers. They are part of the creation, and they're and and we need them. We need uh, uh, organizations and uh, and you know institutions and uh, and mindsets, thinking. Rather than exercising our dominion over them, that becomes problematic. And if you look at uh, Jesus his, at his baptism, when he um, is uh, baptized it's right on the border the jordan river is the border between the you know the land which represents eden you know the the, the land of israel is like uh, eden was metaphoric for the you know for the for the land of israel you know the land flowing with milk and honey so jesus right at the border um he is um 
you know, he's uh, goes into the waters of baptism and um, dies to all of his uh, human identifications, you know, identity, identity, identity markers, his national identity, his ra- racial ethnic profile. That's all part of the flesh. He goes under the water, he comes out and then he's, he's cast out into the wilderness. According to Mark's gospel, it's Ekbalo. He's cast out using the same verb that is used when the Lord casts out Adam from the garden. Okay. It's the spirit that it's sometimes it's translated that impelled him, but that cast him into the wilderness. Okay. So he goes outside the garden, uh, taking on the same uh, fate as, as the first human who was cast out of the garden. Okay. Where he does battle against the ruler of this world. And rather than coming under the rule of this world, he puts the ruler of this world in its, in his place. You know, the rule of this world says, if you're the son of God, you know, then, then turn this uh, bread into, uh, into rocks, into stone, into bread. And he says, um, you know, you, sh- you know, you man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that receive- comes from the mouth of God, not out of your mouth, uh, you know, Satan, right? And uh, and so the, the, the Jesus is is modeling uh, how we put uh, the non-human, you know, powers, including the spiritual powers, uh, under our feet. Okay, and and he comes into the land, um, having uh, having done what the first Adam didn't do. Right. So Jesus, as the second Adam, who fulfills, um, you know, the whole uh, mandate that humans are given to rule over the, you know, the creation, which which includes the non-human creation. His first miracle is to cast out an unclean spirit from someone in a synagogue. And I think the unclean spirits are uh, most are best understood as spirits that come through idolatrous attachments to uh, to the creation, to the non-human creation which would include nation states. So when we pledge allegiance to the flag, we come under um, a, a spiritual power that's an unclean spirit. And the first priority of Jesus was to cast out uh, these unclean spirits from in religious insiders, like people in the synagogue. And, and then we see him exercising that same authority when he deals with Pharisees who had come under the law. They, they worshipped, uh, you know, legal codes of the Mosaic, you know, um, law. And uh, which is a power as well, you know, when it gets codified and, and separated from the living God. And so we see Jesus confronting uh, the powers all through the Gospels. And, um, you know, and he says, you know, you will be brought before rulers. I mean, um, authorities, you know, the synagogues are part of the category of the powers. And don't worry about what you're going to say because the spirit will give you utterance. So the prophetic dimension, Jesus models prophetic um, utterance before the powers of his day. Uh, high priests, uh, Sadducees, uh, Pharisees, those are all system, systems, right, that fit into the category of the powers. And, and Paul himself also models that in the way that he confronts the powers of his day and in his whole theology of, of describing all of these powers, which are part of the, the good creation, so to speak, but have become distorted through idolatry. He says that all of them um, are the enemies uh, that need to be, that eventually will be destroyed according to first Corinthians 15. Right. And so they're not part of, they're not part of the redeemed creation. They're part of the creation that will no longer be part of the new heaven and the new earth. According to first Corinthians 15, they're, they, they will be destroyed as long as well as death. Death will not be part of the new heaven and the new earth. Death will be destroyed. And we see this in the Exodus narrative too, where the only way liberation happens is through the destruction of the powers, not the reform of the powers. 
So one of the problems with Western Christians is that we have an idealized view of the powers. We think that we can actually reform them through through what we call uh, sort of the democratic process. So we've I, we turned demo, democracy into an idol, and we've turned our government, which we which we claim is founded on Christian principles and that we're a Christian nation, we've turned that into something that we justify coming under when there's quote unquote Christian leaders, and all of that is really, really a distortion of the biblical um, understanding of the powers. And then for our ministry, in terms of resisting the powers, you talk about advocacy and deliverance. How does that um, flesh out? Well, when we're dealing with the systems of our government, we're dealing with uh, laws and such, you know, um, where we need to be ruled, uh, come under the, the rule of law, because otherwise we'd have chaos. But when the law becomes elevated, in a um, in a legalistic, overly legalistic way, um, I think we're about humans um, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We place human beings at, at a higher place than than the powers and principalities, and so we're we're not going to we're always going to advocate for people even more than we would advocate for um, you know for a system or um, you know for for laws. And um, and Jesus models this all the time when he heals on the Sabbath, when he touches the unclean. When he, uh, you know, uh, fraternizes and and has friendships with sinners, you know, um, so many of his miracles are are just overt uh, acts of resistance to the laws that have become um, idolized. And so, you know, going to court, um, we're trying to advocate for the human beings before the powers by uh, getting judges and prosecutors to. Uh, to, to actually really uh, act out of their uh, out of compassion and to use the whatever discretion they have, which we need to study and know what it is, to um, you know to 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 move in the direction of of life and freedom for people, you know, rather than just a slavish attachment to the law based on fear of you know lawsuits and that kind of thing, or or just uh, pressure from the public or whatever it might be. And uh, what then does uh, deliverance look like? Well, when people are uh, have come under the power of of the powers of, say, partisan division, or uh, hatred, or uh, or just uh, pride, you know, those powers uh, can take on the form of a of a demonic stronghold in someone. And uh, we, as followers of Jesus, when we're submitted to, to the Father, the way Jesus was, and when we're uh, in that place of it being at the right hand of the of the Father in Jesus, we have authority over those powers, um, beginning with ourselves, um, and then also in um, you know we need to we need to work at uh, you know taking authority over the powers that are predatory in our own lives as the as the front line, but then um, in alignment with people's will, like we have to educate people, and uh, you can't just cast out something from someone who's not in agreement, right? You through um, Train, you know, like proclaiming the good news and and educating people and training people uh, and bringing people into the process of conversion and discipleship. We want to empower them to, uh, you know, to through help inviting them to confess their alignment, their agreement with evil, and renounce it, and then uh, and then to take authority in the name of Jesus, exercise their own authority like that's given to us to rule over the powers and you know the non-human and the, um, you know the predatory evil we need to teach people that 
we can do that in the name of Jesus, because at the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord, you know, Philippians 2, right? So deliverance should be part of what we do as well as advocacy. So uh, your approach to deliverance may not be that different than a lot of other practitioners within the greater Pentecostal charismatic movement. It's just that you would include more issues that are powers that people need to be delivered from. I think there's a lot of macro powers that people come under, like uh, the Republican Party, uh, their church denomination, um, like ideologies like democracy or, you know, um, socialism or, you know, or capitalism or free market, you know, mindsets, uh, white supremacy, you know, uh, so many things, right? We can come under the, under powers of through, um, you know, through letting them have too big of a place and be the shot callers of our lives rather than letting, um, you know, the father, Jesus says he doesn't even do his own will. He only does what, what he sees the father doing, or he only says what, what God, his father tells him to say. I mean, so he's, he's in that relationship of absolute radical submission and through loving the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what we're called to. That's our, our position from which we, we should be doing our work and not, uh, you know, like being about make America great again, or, you know, or about just uh, having the, the flag or the nation state or our my, or our ideology or our denominational priorities or our nonprofit priorities as the highest place. You know, Jesus needs to be the highest, you know, the highest place at the highest place. So we've talked about this before, but there, the disunity in the church over the issues, very issues we've been talking about, social justice and the, the gifts of the Spirit. So for those uh, peacemakers who are all about working um, for the, on behalf of the marginalized and the poor, uh, for the cause of peace and justice, what would you say to them to explain their need for the gifts and presence of the Spirit? Well, just look at our own lives and all the stuff that we're up against and how uh, pernicious and uh, resistant it is to um, how difficult it is to change. And, you know, our, our personally on our own personal level uh, with our relationships with one another and, uh, and just our own addictions and habits. Like if it's if you think it's just all about education, well, it doesn't take very much living to realize that there's that change it requires a lot more than just education that we're up against powers and forces that are, that are really difficult. And we need a holistic approach that includes an understanding of trauma, mental health, you know, just personal human psychology, you know, therapeutic practices um, and, uh, and are just physical, you know, health issues. And, but also the spiritual part is very real. And if we if we're reading scripture carefully, we can see that there's a way to read it and to read the stories of Jesus's encounters with, uh, you know, with people, um, the people of his uh, in the gospel stories that um, we can draw from those and and engage in a practice where we're going to see more more freedom. Um, you know, um, when the, when we invite the Holy Spirit to really help guide us, like an example, um, I was meeting with a, a couple for baptism couple days ago and uh they um they've been fentanyl heroin and meth users using all three at the same time and been homeless 
Now they're in some um, housing that's provided by the county um, for the next six months, and they've been clean. He's been clean six months. He, he's in drug court, and um, and he's doing great. And she's been clean, just going cold turkey. And they're trying to work out um, their relationship, and 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 they're working on wanting to prepare for baptism. So we began to talk just about Jesus and who he was and whether how they understood him and. The woman had a horrible uh, pain in her tooth. She was started to tell me like um, she was having a hard time concentrating because she was she had an abscess tooth. And so I thought, OK, um, now's the moment to maybe just try some prayer. So I invited her boyfriend. Um, I said, why don't you uh, can we just pray about this uh, abscess tooth? I mean, you know, we see in the Gospels that Jesus um, healed everyone who came to him of every kind of disease and every kind of affliction. Um, how about if you, uh, Ernest, like, would you, could you put a hand on her cheek and where the pain is? And how about if we just pray and you can pray and I'll, I'll pray with you. So he said, yeah, he'd been in lots of Bible studies in the jail for years and years and years with me. And he's a, he's a believer. Um, and, um, and she was open to that. So we prayed and, uh, commanded the pain in Jesus name to, to go away and just spoke peace over her, um, the tooth and you know and um, spoke to the swelling and just and said in Jesus name we just we just bless your your teeth your tooth to be free from all the swelling and all the you know and we just prayed a prayer that um, short little prayer and then like I asked her how she was doing she said oh, she was just shocked because all the mm. had just gone away wow. and um, then in this kind of in the spirit I just sensed this dark kind of presence to her left and I was just imagining that thing whatever that was snatching away her healing and I just so I just asked the question do you ever feel like there's a dark presence that's sort of to your left off to your left over you kind of following you um have you ever felt that she goes yes I said oh really for how long like uh, do you know um when it started she goes well it's wild like I think around 2015 is when I first started feeling it. Okay. And then um, I said, well, do you know what happened in 2015? And she goes, um, I don't know. I can't really remember. And then the word Santa Muerte came into my head. You know, that's the death, uh, sort of the saint death, which is the the cartels, the drug cartels in Mexico. They worship, many of them worship um, the Santa Muerte. There's a whole cult around that. And, uh, and in, they pray to the Santa Morte for protection so that they can bring drugs into the United States or, and for lots of things. There's, there are witches that are Santa Morte witches. So I asked her, I said, have you ever prayed to the Santa Morte? And she says, um, yes, I have. And I said, well, when did you begin to do that? She goes, well, actually around 2015. Mm. You know, she says, my dad, the, taught me about that. And I, I began doing it and and I said, so since then you've noticed this dark presence? Yes. I said, okay, well, so we got talking about how, you know, death is in, in, in the scriptures, it's considered the enemy. It's called the last enemy in first, first Corinthians 15. Um, and Jesus is uh, going to destroy it. So I said, so when we go to death uh, for help, we're going to Jesus's enemy for help. So, uh, what do you think about that? And she goes, well, that's, I guess if we're going to go to Jesus, we shouldn't also be going to his enemy. And I was like, well, yeah. 
So, um, and Jesus defeated death on the cross through the resurrection. So I said, so would you be willing to just confess that, that you've done that? Um, maybe you were just ignorant. And, but like, that's what confession is about. It's just admitting to Jesus. And then um, if you think you need to ask him to forgive you, you know, go for it. And so she said, yeah, I really do. So she prayed this prayer. And then I, I invited her to just take a stand and just to, I taught her briefly about the power of Jesus's name, how um, over the powers and how, because um, Jesus is the one that feeds the power. So she uh, commanded this, uh, she turned away from this spirit of death, um, the Santa Muerte. She just def- told it that she wanted it to leave her and she hated it and, to, and, and called out to Jesus to help her. And then immediately she said she felt this something lift off of her off of her left shoulder, and she just felt this incredible peace. And um, that's pretty cool. And then wow. I tried to get her to to think about her dad and maybe confess the the sin of her dad um, for having passed that on to her and kind of maybe break with generational stuff. But she said um, she started to cry, and I found out that just. Uh, Back in December, her dad had been brutally uh, dismembered and, I mean, executed by the, um, you know, by a bunch of gang members when he was uh, smuggling people across the Mexican border and he was trying to defend a girl from being raped. And so she was just, just broken up about her dad and couldn't really go any further uh, in that prayer appointment. But like we're dealing with powers that um, that really, really do affect people. That um, and if you're if you're going to be a serious advocate for liberation of people, you'll you'll discover that. Um, and if you and if you um, and so I just think that anyone who's a, a social justice type advocate for people, if they're doing it in a faith based way, and if they're not doing it in a faith based way, faith based way, we run into uh, blockages, and you can just see. So if we're going to look at the charismatics and Pentecostals, by and large, um, their focus is more on the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit, pursuing signs and wonders and healing, which is great. But then what would you say to them in regard to a kingdom of God, Sermon on the Mount type orientation towards peace and justice and politics? I would say that um, too often white um, North American charismatics and evangelicals are um, are caught up um, are prisoners to ideologies that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God, like uh, like the MAGA agenda, and uh, and like even democracy or uh, USA as a as a reputably uh, I mean um, argued I think mistakenly identified as a Christian nation. You know we're caught up in um, agendas that blind blind us to um to a lot of the a lot of the deeper uh truths of the gospels like when jesus talks about the sermon on the mount and he says you know blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god um and and he identifies the the characteristics of what it looks like to be you know a child of god and a disciple of jesus um, and we see Jesus's teachings that are so obvious, so overt about love of enemies and blessing those who persecute you. Um, you know, those have just been dismissed and, and ignored in, in, in favor of the defense of, of sort of like um, of the, of the U S 
or uh, trying to implement uh, political agendas based on, um, you know, sort of uh, morality, you know, um, as if we can bring about the kingdom through, um, you know, through government, you know. Um, so anyway, I think the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues is um, our locatedness. The problem with white um, charismatics and evangelicals, from what I see, is that often our locatedness is with 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 in churches where we're with people that look like us that are, are from a similar social class uh you know sort of space and ethnicity and um you know they're citizens um you know middle class if we had if we have friendships with uh with people who are uh mexican immigrants who've had to leave situations of dire poverty or Honduras and central american uh, people that have come across the border at great personal risk and at great expense and have been working in our fields. If we actually had relationships with, um, you know, with our black brothers and sisters and, uh, and we were letting them affect us by uh, really listening to their stories. And if we were in deep connection with Native American people where we were willing to humbly listen to them, we relationships with people uh, other than ourselves, people on the margins and the poor and uh, people in our prison system. That's probably that to kind of cause us to, to, to break our, our totally unhealthy ties to our, uh, our, our, our nation and the, the illusions we have about ourselves. Um, Cause we would be, we would be struck uh, to the core uh, and our, our hearts would be would be broken for the things that break the hearts of God. And so it's that change of location, which, uh, you know, Jesus himself, he went to Galilee, right? He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go to the center of power. He went to the margins. And we ourselves need to uh, follow him in that in that same commitment. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That's the highest priority, you know, uh, set the captives free. Uh, bring liberation to the oppressed, open the eyes of the blind. So we need the blinders taken off ourselves. If you talk to the African-American uh, church people, the leaders and the rank and file of black Christians in America, uh, you'll have a, you'll get a completely different view of what's going on in the United States and about law enforcement and police and how, how they behave in the courts. And, and if you, if you talk to native peoples on the reservations and you're going to get a completely different view of reality. Okay. And, and of, and of the priorities of the kingdom of God, if you go to the global South and you talk to African uh, village pastors, uh, like, you know, we've done lots of trainings all over the world in the global South, you're going to, you're going to find a, a, a spirituality that is, uh, that is much more prophetic and holistic in its embrace of just the gifts of the Holy spirit, as well as just the need for concrete, uh, ministries of justice and advocacy. But you can find that here too. You just got to know where to look. But then how does that tie in with um, militarism? Militarism is such an antichrist approach. If Jesus is the Messiah, and which I believe he is, and I think probably every Christian that I could ever think of would say Jesus is the Messiah, well, then the way Jesus combats evil should be studied. And he doesn't combat it through... Um, through violence. Um, he doesn't um, ever defend religious freedom with force. Okay. He, um, 
he exercises the violence of love, you know, which is willing to uh, give over his own self as a living sacrifice to the, to death by execution. You know, he shows us a way of resistance that is completely other than um, the military approach of just being about defending the homeland. You know, it's not our agenda to defend the homeland. Our agenda is to announce the kingdom of God. You know, when, um, when Jesus was talking to his disciples right before he ascended in Acts 1, they're saying, is now the time for the, is, is the kingdom to be restored to Israel? Like they're thinking about political, um, you know, kind of power. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the day or the hour, but you will be my witnesses in uh, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? And we're about announcing the kingdom of God, not um, any kind of uh, human ideology or political agenda. All right. And in your last chapter, um, you focus on forgiveness and vengeance, and you're talking about violence and love, but ultimately the cross. So how is the cross, how does the cross inform our ethic in regard to love and violence especially? Well, Jesus, you know, um, very clearly in all of the Gospels, he teaches that we're to love our enemies and to uh, bless those groups and do good to those who, um, you know, who who are evil to us, right? I mean, um, I think the, the way that, um, and Paul, in alignment with that, he says, you know, do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, um, and I think Jesus models that by destroying death, by submitting to the death penalty. Um, of course, he doesn't do it uh, right when he, he could have been stoned or killed earlier. And so he was in alignment with the timing, the right timing of that. And he models fleeing and hiding as well as he does um, finally surrendering. Okay, so I'm not saying we should all just become, be too excited about being martyrs. We need to be, you know, um, in alignment with, with the spirit's direction and, um, and be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and, and recognize that, that we're, uh, you know, that we're going to be persecution is part of what uh, is part of our, our, of our heritage. If we're followers of Jesus, who was, who was persecuted primarily by the religious authorities, we can expect the same thing and uh, to happen to us. Jesus tells us his disciples that. And, um, and so, you know, one of the realities of the gospel is that we're warned over and over again, that um, things are going to get harder and harder for us if we're, if we're faithful witnesses and we're going to find ourselves um, having enemies um, and being persecuted by, by people very close to us and, and by others as well. And, um, and so I think th that really goes against the, the notion that um, of this glorious um, sort of ascendancy of, of, of the kingdom coming um, uh, at, with success after success. You know, really, Jesus uh, describes the kingdom coming um, in a way that that um, things get worse and worse and worse until finally there's an end point. And, um, you know, when 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 Jesus comes as the savior, uh, the second coming and um, and there's a judgment of the powers and um, and the new heaven and new earth are something that 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 Jesus brings about. And, uh, and it's not something we can create through our, um, you know, through 
democratic uh, you know elections and even though we need to be about um, as much uh, 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 you know democratic uh, approaches we want to be about uh, seeking to bring reformation and minimizing violence and minimizing destruction of the planet and you know we, we have to be about protection of everything we can because we we want life to 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 flourish uh, as long as it can for as many people especially the most vulnerable people so that we can accomplish what we're called to accomplish um right if someone uh-huh. says well i'm gonna you're gonna die eventually and, uh, and so don't even bother about exercising or eating well um well i mean that would be pretty crazy if 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 uh, but the same way with the planet, if the planet is finite, we should still try to be doing everything we can to, uh, you know, to care for it and to, and to prolong its existence. Um, right. it, Amen. Amen. All right. Good words. Well, um, I'm Dennis Metzler. You've been listening to The Charge. We've been with Bob Eckblad. I'm discussing his story and his book, A New Christian Manifesto. Uh, Follow the link below. Check out the books. Well worth reading. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Peace to everyone.